0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for that song and uh, the reminder. uh, It it will, I think, go so well with, uh, I I pray it will go so well with what the message is. It is a joy to be back here at uh, Downers Grove Church. And oh, no, I see my other colleague back there. Uh, uh, this This will make it for a very short message. So between Mike and uh, Ken and David, um, we need to, the 10 days of prayer really is for me uh, because I have to know all these people. And uh, it's, it's, um, it's just a great opportunity to spend a few minutes together looking into God's Word, is it not? I love the scriptures. Uh, one of the things I miss about pastoring is that I don't get to do the teaching side of scripture much. Now it's the teaching side of policy. So now you know why you need to pray for me even more. Uh, it is just a, a less of an opportunity to do what I love doing. Let me start uh, again by just referring to an experience I had uh, just recently as kind of the launch into uh, why I'm preaching what I'm preaching today. Uh, over by our office. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever been there or seen the one the new one that is on Plainfield there is what's called Pete's Market Anybody ever been there Have you been to the one by the conference office the new one I walked in there uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, lost my mind Because immediately I was confronted with the reality that there are far too many options for this brain to process uh, I like almond milk And so, do I want the unsweetened or the sweetened? Or do I want the original? Or do I want the chocolate? Or do I want the unsweetened chocolate? And you can see where this is going. There is a story that is told about a missionary who returned back to the United States and was asked the question, in terms of your return back to the United States, what was your most difficult transition? And he said, deciding what potato chip to buy at the marketplace. And I I say all this, brothers and sisters, because we are living in a world that is so rich and complex as it comes to choices that we can spend, as someone has said, we can spend a dollar's worth of energy on a 10-cent decision. And in the process of all of that pursuit of of making a 10-cent decision in our life or whatever it may be, it is even more apparent to me that it is becoming easier and easier for us who claim to follow Jesus to pursue life and forget Jesus and then I'm going to add to that just a little another uh, another layer I'm discovering more and more as I travel around our conference I'm discovering more and more as I uh, travel around and deal with our church and it's all its complexity Is that even the greatest temptation, I believe, for those of us who claim to follow Jesus is to allow the complexities of our understanding of Jesus to get in the way of knowing Jesus? And I think that it is quite difficult. I was at a meeting at the Union this past week. Um, So I'll be careful how I say this. (laughs) Nothing to do with the Union. It has to do with one of the the engagements in my life as it relates to my role is the question of what do we do with us who are Seventh-day Adventists and the number of statements that we put out as a church. I have a book in my office that's about this thick that is related to statements that our church has made about any number of issues across the world that go beyond our twenty-eight. And then, you know, in the midst of everything going on in our church, we have this other book that's like this thick called Policy, Working Policy. And so it begins to dawn on me, in the midst of all of the stuff of life, whether it be the stuff outside the church or the stuff inside the church, the question becomes, easily in our midst, is what does it mean to be a Seventh-day Adventist? And then, in the midst of the discussion about what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist, the question comes back to even a more foundational question, and it is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I ask that because sometimes it is easy for us to fall into the trap of believing that because I follow a written document, whatever that may be, I am following Jesus. And I'm coming back to, I'm I'm now going to, jump over into a different realm for a moment and I know this is an abomination for me to even express this but I'll do it anyways just for the point of an analogy and that is the coach Vince Lombardi who was who was the uh, who was the uh, Packers head coach I had that word is hard to come out of my mouth okay so it just takes a while if you're a Packers fan I pray for you okay still love you Because it is said about Vince Lombardi that every once in a while at the beginning of uh, their camp, he would have to get before the team and he would have to hold up this oblong, leather-bound something and say to them, brothers, this is a football. Now we could do that with the Chicago Bulls now and say this is a basketball. But I say it to you this morning, that I think in the midst of all of the stuff of our life, I want to remind you, this is Jesus. Because even as those who follow Jesus, in the world that we live in today, it's very easy to take your eye off of Jesus, even while still following him. So I turn, I'm asking you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, and I'm asking you to turn to John not because it bears my name or I bear its name, but because this particular story is very, uh, I think, insightful. And we're going to begin with verse 29. But let me say this, uh, just preemptively, because I, uh, I know you all miss Pastor Kent, and I wish he was here right now so I could watch him shovel the driveway. Um, I say this because uh, I, this story and the Gospel of John is a very unique book. About 75% of the Gospel of John is not found in any of the other Gospels. Uh, it's probably, arguably, the latest written book that we have in our New Testament. Yes, it is even written after the book of Revelation. And so uh, this book is very unique because the story we're going to look at today is not going to be found in the other Gospels. And I think there's a reason why that I won't get into today. And it says in verse 29, I'm reading from the New International Version, the next day John saw, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, or behold, the Lamb of God who does what? And I love the next part. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me who has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you are—you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize who will with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. I love this because I, uh, I appreciate and love the fact that John the disciple, in the midst of gathering crowds around him, as his ministry was wont to do, was unwilling that those crowds should get attached to him. Because he realized that his ministry was not about him. It was about a redirect. And the redirect is to the one who was to come. The one who was to follow him. But I love the way he says it. The one who was to follow him is the one who was before him. I love the little twist of John. So it says in verse 35, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What is it that you want? And they said, Rabbi, meaning teacher, Where are you staying? And I love this response. Come, he replied and you will see. I love this story because it is a foundational story that reveals to us, at least through the lens of John, about how we are or how we initially come to faith and follow Jesus. And what I love about this story is that when the question is asked, uh, I'm sorry, when when the response is given to uh, I'm sorry, when the question is asked, Rabbi, where are you staying? He does not say, take a left at the second street, go for two miles, turn right, you'll see a big water tower, and then take the first left. He says what? You know, it's like sometimes, and I, my wife tells me this all the time since she works for Amida, it's when you go into a, a, a retail store and you ask for directions and they give you the directions, Versus those who say, walk with me and I'll take you to where you need to go. You see, what I love about Jesus is he's not satisfied with giving information to those who are asking the question. He's more satisfied in developing a relationship with them while they're walking together. And I say this because I think it's very easy sometimes to believe in our world that we live in today that more information will automatically lead to discipleship. Now, I know I'm going to crunch, I'm going to step on, I'll say, I'll crunch some toes here. It's different than crunching numbers for you that are in that world. I'm going to crunch some toes here because we have a tendency even more so now to believe that if you follow my podcast, you will become a disciple. Or if you'll follow my Twitter account, you will discover the secret of discipleship. Or if you read my book, you will come to to discover the joy of discipleship. You know, I love the fact that it says at the beginning of John's Gospel, and the word became what? Didn't become a tweet. Didn't become a Facebook posting. Didn't become something other than a Person. And I want to emphasize this because God sent his son into the world. He did not send an email, he did not send a letter. He sent himself. And if we are going to be the kinds of people that follow this Jesus of Nazareth down the trodden trail that he has already paved out for us, it is going to have to be predicated upon the reality that it is the the foundation of that discipleship is a relationship. You know, it's very interesting. Um, I presented this. I think I did. I don't remember because I don't remember yesterday. Uh, Thank goodness I don't remember Broadview. Unfortunately, they do. But I say this because uh, I, I presented this. I think at our constituency meeting, but it was in the midst of uh, mayhem, and so it may have been missed. But I, I presented this because one of the things, um, one of the things that I discovered uh, as I was at another event, one of the things I discovered is. There was a study that was recently done on the issue of why people are leaving the church worldwide. And the question was basically asked to people, why are you leaving the church? And it was very fascinating because I think for most of us that um, that the answers that came back were not tied to what we normally think. In fact, of all of them that came back, of all the answers that came back, none of them had to do with theology. Out of ten, the top 10 responses as to why people gave, as to why they were leaving the church, none of them had to do with theology. You know what they had to do with? Relationships. The language was, when it was asked the question, most important reasons why you decided to stop attending, the number one was, interestingly enough, No big issue, I just drifted away. I can say that that is probably something that's quite real in the reality of our world today. Because we don't keep our eye on the ball, because the reality of our lives is we are very busy people who face a lot of complexity and a lot of choices and a lot of other things we could be doing. All the other reasons, lack of compassion for lack of compassion for the hurting. I did not fit in, too much focus on minor issues, conflict in the congregation, moral failures of members, moral failures of reasons, pressure from family or friends, race, ethnic, or even outside of the United States, tribal issues, all most of it having to do with the issue of how we relate to one another. I say this uh, as I travel around. And that is that when Jesus approached the disciples, he did not seek to give them a Bible study. He invited them and gave them an invitation to continue the journey with him. I love the dynamic of that because it, it means in many ways, and this is why I think sometimes we're a little afraid of it, because for most of us, myself included, who you know, grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist, and again, I think I mentioned this before, forgive me, I grew up at North Shore. Sometimes it is easy to believe or easy to fall into the trap of believing if we just get the information right, people will get their lives right. And I think more and more in our world today, people need people. So the question that we don't like, the question that I don't like, is the question of what kind of person am I becoming while I'm following Jesus, and does that kind of person encourage and invite others to follow Jesus as well? I don't like that question. I like Bible studies. Here, here's the text. Bing, 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 bing. sign off. Welcome. Welcome. Or, you know how it is, parents, when you talk to your children sometimes, kids, don't do what I do, do what I say. I've never done that, by the way. Right. See, the question becomes for those of us who are familiar with Jesus, the question becomes, what is it that we want in the process of following Jesus? Because Jesus asked the question of the disciples what is it that you want? And the beauty of our experience here today, the beauty of what we will partake of today is that what we partake of today is a reminder not about a not about a theology, not about a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? a uh, a practice, it's about a person. You see, if we partake of the emblems today, if we partake of, The bread and we partake of the cup. It is not about the bread and it is not about the cup, it is about the person that stands behind those. And the question is as I partake of that, and that's the beauty of this service, is that it always gives us the opportunity to kind of separate out all the clutter and noise in our life. And to be able to say, hold on a minute, at least once a quarter, we at Downers Grove are going to remind everybody who's present that what our journey with Jesus is really about is about the bread and the cup. Because if we realize that it's about the bread and the cup, now this is what I love about this. Because I love a God who's just so real. Because we have to remember how this all started and what God talks about. I know this is going to be kind of a, a, it could sound like, uh, it's this, let me just put it this way, I like to say it this way, it's a Sabbath school question. You know what that means? Sabbath school question basically is, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to wait until you give me the answer that I'm looking for, okay? And i you know, I didn't hear your Sabbath school, so you're a free man, okay? Uh, so I am, I, as a lawyer, I'm asking a leading question here. Okay? In the scriptures, what is the most prominent place in which relationships are developed? I heard it. Who said that? Meals. Meals. The primary place in scripture where, where relationships are developed is around food. Not know about you, but that's—I would expect to have heard an amen on that, because <laughs> I'm sure everybody in this place loves to eat. Okay. In fact, when the writer Revelation ends the story, he ends at a banquet. I say this because when Jesus provided this opportunity for his disciples, and he said, "Take eat," and then he said, "Do th- as often as you." do this, remember me. Jesus is taking something very concrete in the lives of those people, something that their life depended on eating, and flipped it into the reality that every time you take a morsel of food in your body, I want you to remember me. And then he qualifies it by saying, but I don't want you, mind you now, I don't want you to just live in the past. I want you to know that the past is going to disintegrate because the reality is the next time I have this meal with you, it will be where? And the earth made new. So what that means is Jesus took a very simple, and their particular culture was the day and age of the Passover that they were celebrating, but the idea of eating and drinking. And I know, by the way, when the book of John ends. Do you know how it ends? The book of John ends around food. John chapter 21. They're out there cooking fish. Fish and chips in John chapter 21. And Jesus, while they're eating fish and chips, Jesus restores Peter and reminds Peter in that midst what his future will be. And so I want and can you imagine, Peter, because, again, we, you know, we have a tendency to uh, we have a tendency to sterilize our reading of Scripture. I just give you one little brief reality of when Scripture became unsterile to me. I had the opportunity to spend a quarter of my education in Israel and my master's degree and so spent four months over there, had a great op- a great time there. Ended up going to uh, what is called the Samaritan Passover. Yes, Samaritans still exist. Well, at least they did a long time ago. Uh, Because that's, I know for our young kids, that was before these things existed. (laughs) Heard the story the other day about a young person who had no idea, literally said, I don't know how to send a letter through the mail. I don't know how to do this. I don't know with stamps. I don't know any of that. So, no, when I was around, they had stamps when this story happened. So, we went. We went to the Samaritan Passover, which is in the, the middle part in an area called Nablus, near Nablus. And we went up there, and at the Samaritan Passover, it's the only people group that still do this. They still do the sacrifices, they do it differently than what is recorded in Scripture, but they do it. So the Samaritan priest, each priest had a living lamb with him. And at a certain moment, and we, that where they were at, there was a fence between us and them. And where they were at, uh, they then had that lamb with them. And so we waited and waited and waited. And suddenly, a signal was given by a prayer. And each of those priests took the lamb and put that lamb between its legs. And then at just the right time, that priest took out a knife and slit the throat of the lamb right in front of us. about a hundred sheep. And then they went through the whole process of shearing the sheep and the whole process of burning the sheep. And I began to realize, you know, I've seen some bad things growing up in Chicago, you know, going to school with these guys, but I never had that experience. And here's what, here's what dawned on me in that moment, brothers and sisters, is how sound and smell and all of that combined to leave an impression on my mind that still lives with me today. I'm going somewhere with this, just hang on. And John chapter 21, when Peter is gathered around a fire, echo back to John, uh, John chapter 18 when Peter denies Jesus, When they are gathered around a fire, Peter denies Jesus. When they are gathered around this new fire, Peter is there, and it is there that he restores, he is restored by Jesus. I say this because in the reality of that story, Peter, see we live our lives where we just do this, and the stove turns on. Every time from that day forward, every time that Peter lit a fire, which he had to do if he was going to eat, if he was going to stay warm, every time he lit that fire, the memory residing in his brain would no longer be the memory of his failure with Jesus. It would be his restoration in Jesus. So what was associated with the smell of fire now became something positive in his experience with Jesus rather than a negative. That's discipleship. That's what it means to follow this Jesus who says, even the practical things of life, like the reality that if you're going to live, you're going to have to eat, I want you to think about eating differently than you normally do. And so when we eat, not just here, but when we go home, when we eat at our potlucks, you know, those preparations for the grand potluck in heaven, Will we eat realizing every meal that we eat from now on in the rest of our life is a preparation for the meal to come? And asking myself the question while I follow this Jesus, Jesus, am I becoming the kind of person, not in what I say only, but in who I am and what I do, that somebody else would actually want to follow him? Like I said, I don't like that question because I like information. So my prayer for each of us is that we will come to realize that amidst everything in our life, we can ground the reality of God's kingdom in the simple things like eating and drinking. And may we live that out this week and as we worship him through the celebration of his Supper, not ours.